0: well it feels like december 32nd or 33rd or 37th if you're already tired of your seven-day trial of 2021 and you'd like a refund we can't help you here but uh maybe we can provide a little bit of therapy i think uh 2021 is is off to an inauspicious auspicious start as twenty twenty as twenty twenty ended. Uh, maybe we can offer you some therapy. I don't know. I think maybe we need therapy ourselves. I don't know. I I know I need some kind of professional help. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm Justin Ladd. I'm just joined by Willie Hood. I don't think it's, there's no news to talk about today, right, really We're just recording this for the, for the sake of recording it, right?
1: You know, uh, it, it's really about um, trying to turn the page and figure something out. Keep ourselves busy. Try not to go crazy with. All- you know the news and everything else that's out there right now. So, um, what what can we do to occupy ourselves right now, Justin? You know, other than talk about baseball,
0: name change, attendance, um, Browns playoff game—all that stuff sounds really relevant today. I think.
1: Hey, and the Cavs I think are close to having a winning record. They might be one game up still.
0: You know, I haven't seen the Cavs game yet this year because I don't have the channel. That's the only thing we can talk. That's something our discussion for another day. We talked about actually. We talked about that last time we had a podcast before the uh, before we thought the worst year ever was yeah. ending. I, yeah, I, I don't have a channel, so I still can't watch the Cavs, but I, I do hear they're quite entertaining. So maybe I'll have to invest some resources in that. Oh, okay. Well, speaking of resources, the Indians are lessening their financial commitments with the resources i don't know i don't know i'll suspend that i don't know it's a terrible segue um by now if you're listening to this you know the indians traded francisco lindor to the mets they got shortstop on rosario back shortstop uh andres jimenez and two prospects a right-handed pitcher named josh wolf and an outfielder named isaiah green both who have not played above uh, a ball yet and I don't think Green even played in 2020 because he was a draft pick and there was obviously nowhere for him to go and this essentially clears them of about $44 million in payroll um, actually let me do the math on that again just to make sure because I don't want to put anything out there that's not accurate okay, so at least this absolves Cleveland of at least $45 million in payroll the next two years not including what they got back um, but Carlos Grask on Francisco Lindor would have made at least the combined 45 million over the next two years, Lindor, 21 million in arbitration this year, Carlos Carrasco, 12 million this year, 12 million next year. Um, that does not include his team option, which was 14 million in 2023 with a three million dollar buyout. So actually to include that the three million dollar buyout, it's at least 48 million. And unfortunately, that's going to be what everybody looks at is the fact that they just cleared $48 million over the next two years, there's, there's no getting around that way. Really. Like that's, that's going to be, it, it, whether it's fair or not. And it probably is somewhat fair or totally fair, however you want to think about it, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't, it doesn't matter how good any of these guys are. I don't think anybody is, is going to be able to look at this other than a way of them clearing salary and, and getting rid of one of the most popular players in the last 20 years.
1: You know, it, it hurts to see it happen. We all knew the clock was ticking with Lindor when they weren't able to come to an agreement. Um, it was interesting to see Heyman, by the way, tweet that they offered over $200 million. And it also uh, affirms what Jason Lloyd at the Athletics said back in March of last year um, when he said that they that they offered over $200 million. And, and Lindor himself said that they didn't offer as much as $300 million. Um saying that they, don't, that they didn't offer as much as $300 million also says that they made a substantial offer. And, and Heyman seemed to confirm that. So it's not as if they didn't put out a significant offer for Lindor or something that they have um, eclipsed any other signing that they have made in the past, going over $200 million to begin with. Um, I do like that they did try to do that. My guess is it probably never even reached 10 years maybe eight or something like that. The The club would probably be more comfortable with um, the part that stings. So, you know, I, I love the draft. I love watching Frankie come through the system. Uh, one of my favorite players, Frankie Lindor. And then of course, Carlos Carrasco, um, the man, the man, the myth, the legend, great humanitarian. <laughs> well, maybe he's not a legend yet, but in, in some ways he is because the folklore that he will live in um, for us tribe fans, you know? Um, So it's a painful day to see both of them go in this deal. Uh, But I do think that the Indians, yes, they clear money, but they also did get back talent. And I'm not going to pretend that this is a great trade. I will say it's a solid trade though.
0: It is. Like I said, nobody, it's never going to be judged fairly. You're never, the Indians are not going to, I mean, Isaiah Green can turn into an all-star and, one of Rosario Jimenez can be a really nice player and, and Wolf could be a really good starter. And I don't think they're ever going to win the PR on this trade. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, Lin, like you said, Lindor is one of the best players that come through here. And and honestly, I think Carrasco, I mean, I know a lot of people like Jose Ramirez. I like Jose Ramirez an awful lot, but I would say Carrasco is extremely close to being, one of the second most popular players this, this city has had in quite some time just because of his story. Absolutely. So it, it, it's a PR battle. They're just not going to win. They're going to have to take the PR hit and they're going to have to hope that on the field, this works out for them long-term. That's all, that's all they're going to be able to point to. And if nothing else, you can at least trust that Cleveland does not lose in trades. For instance, or, uh, Chris Antonetti and, and my turnoff don't often look terrible in trades. I know that people were mad about the Jake Bowers and, and Yandi Diaz trade. That didn't look great. I still don't think yandi has been that great. He's been better than, than Jake Bowers, uh, but there's still time to see how that plays out. But in general, this team does not do bad in trades. Like we'll see what happens with the, the Mike Levinger deal. They've already gotten a decent return on, on Trevor Bauer. I mean, they know that, that they kind of know what Mel Reyes is, even if he's streaky. But, you know, long-term, this team just not – usually comes out pretty pretty ahead or even in trades. It just takes longer to to flush out because that's just the way they structure it. I I don't hate the trade. I think most of us – I know you and I specifically, we've been talking about this for six months. I mean <laughs> – Every, every day we wake up and you know, we're talking about, has Lindor been traded yet? No? Okay. Lindor hasn't been traded yet. Um, so maybe it, we've just been bracing for it for so long that maybe it doesn't actually matter. I don't know. Um, the Carrasco one hurts a lot just because I feel like had there not been a pandemic, maybe they would have been able to hang on to him. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. And and maybe you and you could say they should have been able to hang on him regardless. Maybe that's true. I could say that's true. And I, I can't prove it, and I think it should be true. But I would like to think that without a pandemic, we don't be talking today about uh, a Francisco Lindor trade that was inevitable and not a and not a Carlos Carrasco with it to make it better. That's I, to me. That's what stings the most. Is is him going? I think there was once, like you talked about, they, once they didn't offer Lindor three hundred million dollars, it was only a matter of time. The Carrasco one, you know, he signed two friendly, two team friendly deals. He's gone through, you know, missing the postseason twenty sixteen because of a liner off his hand. He had leukemia. I mean, how many times did he get hit with a line drive? Like at least twice, he got hit with a line drive back up the middle. That was scary enough the guy has just endured so much here and after everything he's been through, I mean, winning comeback player of the year award, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. And it, it stinks to think that the only reason they had to trade him is because of a pandemic. And I, okay. I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to keep using the word had, but no reason they ended up trading him is because of a pandemic. And because they need to do something to boost Lindor's trade value because the return for Lindor alone might not have been very good. Like they got, they got four players back and what would they have gotten for Lindor on his own? Like two of these guys, like would you get maybe Rosario and green? Like that might've been it. Right. If they didn't include Carrasco.
1: I, I think that they could have gotten a decent deal. You know, back before the off season, really. Well, the offseason hasn't really started yet, except for a couple of big trades. Um, Darvish, Snell, and now Lindor, and Carrasco. But, um, you know, I, I think at the beginning of the offseason, I predicted that they would trade for Jimenez, uh, J.D. Davis, and then Andy Rodriguez, which is like the number 15 prospect from the Mets, you know, and the Mets and the Blue Jays have been tied to rumors to uh, Lindor just because they made sense on paper for some time now. Um, it's it's hard to say what they could have gotten for him. I, I don't think that they would have done better, to be honest with you. Um, trying to go to Toronto. Toronto knows Cleveland. Um, they know how Antonetti and Chernoff think. And, you know, when, when guys know what the other ones want, maybe you don't have um, – Maybe you don't have that connection that is there on paper. But when the other guy anticipates what you want or what you really want and he knows well what you're really looking for or looking at, maybe the best move is to go somewhere else. So maybe this was the best trade. And and for a long time I've said Cleveland has added two players with one deal left on or one year uh, left on their deal, like um Edwin and Carnation when they traded they added yandy diaz and got back carlos santana six million dollars and jake bowers um so it, it made sense for them to add something to it it's unfortunate it was carlos carrasco because as you said he's loved and has been loved in cleveland he's a great humanitarian it's a great story um business wise it clears a lot of money for them now they said according to what Antonetti said earlier that they had lost money this year and had to borrow money. In fact, um, with no revenue sharing this past season and no revenue sharing coming up this next season. Um, it's a clear way for them to reduce payroll, get some now return. And, you know, fact of the matter is, is this is this organization is deep in pitching and with the pitching staff that they have assembled now, they've invested about $3 million I'd say in the, in the five starters that they'll have out there. Um, when you, when you think of it in those terms, or you can think of, we can put 12 million into one starting pitcher and not know if he's going to have a relapse of leukemia or if he's going to have other health issues. Um, he did have Tommy John in at one point in his career, um, and there's always the risk of injury with pitchers. What if he, um, he like Clevenger ended up having to have Tommy John this year. Then they were sitting on that money, and that's money that they would need to invest into this uh, this ball club because obviously they're not going to have a huge payroll. Uh, Terry Pluto has floated the number sixty million dollars out there. I doubt we see that. We might see ten, or we might see ten. <laughs> we might see fifty. Uh, ten would be horrendous. <laughs> we might see uh, fifty million dollars this year and maybe a little bit more than that if they make a few additions and, and chris antonetti had hinted at that today that they could uh, reinvest some of those resources back into the club
0: yeah i don't know where that would happen i know a lot of people are, are skeptical about them reinvesting the money back into the club um because they've said that before and they haven't done it so you know i i get it
1: i listened to that quote two or three times and the funny way that it struck me was it wasn't necessarily about going out and spending but it was about potentially locking up assets now something that they've done in the past and something you and I have hit on which is them offering extensions to some of the players that are currently on the club and maybe that's one direction they go with that
0: yeah I mean the obvious self of the room now is is Shane Bieber. Like, they have to find find a way to get him locked up or in 2023, we could be having the same conversation about Shane Bieber, which would not be good if we had to go down that road. So, if they do have some money that they're able to put back into the team from this, I think that's one of the first places they should look. I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what it's going to take at this point to sign him. I think there was... Like the, to me before, I don't, I don't want to get into a big discussion about this, but we can, but I think I mentioned before, like, the Blake Snell deal that Tampa Bay gave him before they traded him to San Diego um, made a lot of sense for Shane Bieber. but now that he's won a Cy Young, I don't know that he is going to listen to that. Like, I, I have to go back and look and see what the Blake Snell contract is. It was not... I mean, the fact that Tampa Bay traded him because of money and Maybe maybe they would have maybe they would have also held on to him if it weren't for the.
1: He was me. I, I can't swear to Snow's deal, but I think it was five years at fifty million dollars, which doesn't sound like a, a great deal. But he was fairly unproven at that point too, um, and for them to go five years on a pitcher it is a it, it was five
0: risk
1: and fifty for a small market club. Too. Um. And he had 3.39 left on that deal. And so they, they kind of got out of that deal with a, a pretty good haul of talent coming back. Lu, Luis Patino, um, Cole Wilcox, and then the other two pieces that were involved, that uh, Blake Hunt and, and the other one that's escaping me right now. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to get too, too far down that trail. But I, you know, I, I hope that the Indians will at least try to get something done with Shane Bieber. Um, I do think it would be good to see them um, extend Jose Ramirez as well. I I think that's your two key components to this roster right now. And Ramirez is, what, 28, if I'm not mistaken. So he's still a a young asset. I know he has three years of control left. Try to get a, a fourth and fifth year on there and give him a little bit of a pay increase. Give him some incentive on the front end of it too. But um, it would be good to see them reinvest back into the roster as they said
0: it absolutely would they should do that say yeah, and Ramirez too if they're gonna if they're gonna try to avoid making the same deal with Ramirez uh, after 2022 with him having a 14 million dollar club option in 2023 they absolutely should consider locking him up by then um, if those two things aren't first up on their list then, you know, I, don't, I don't know what they're doing at that point. Those two things need to be next on their list to avoid things like this because this is, this is probably – all this is coming at a bad time, honestly, because A, you, are, you didn't have fans in the stands last year. So I think you – I guess you kind of lose a connection with them for the year, right? Like you – nobody – I mean, to me, being a baseball fan, being in the ballpark, like I'll, I'll watch baseball on TV. I know a lot of people say it's boring. They'd rather be at the ballpark, but for me, I, and I, being at the ballpark, there's like an ambiance and it's an experience, right? Like it's, it's being there and, and the smells and the sounds. And I feel like maybe without having fans in the stands in 2020, you lose some of that connection to them. And then you talk about the name change, which is polarizing to a lot of people um no matter where you stand on that and then you're now you're trading the most recognizable player this team has had like, i i think ozier is the best player on the team i i don't think per se don't find that to be disputable i think he is the best player on the team but because lindor speaks english he's the most recognizable player they have And because he's multilingual and he has a great smile and he's a great player. And he was, and he was a very high draft pick. Whereas Ramirez was a, a very unknown international signing who does not conduct his interviews in English. I think that puts him behind Lindor in terms of spotlight, but we both have seen now who has had the MVP finishes and who has not. Not that Lindor is not a great player, but it still makes him more recognizable. This is all just a PR nightmare for them right now. And, if they don't if they don't find a way to lock up Beaver and they don't find a way to lock up Ramirez beyond his, his current contract they're going to have to do this all over again next winter and like may, you know maybe they they're not I, I don't think they're trading Jose Ramirez this winter i do not I, I would be floored if that happened this winter and then if they if they trade Ramirez this winter i would start to call a rebuild i'm not calling this a rebuild first of all but I could see them exploring the option next winter where Ramirez is owed 11 million and he has one more club option left. And if you do that and then you do it with Beaver in 2023 before his final year, you know, it's just, it's just a reoccurring nightmare. And it's, it's, that's almost unsurvivable. I think how many, how many of those PR hits can you take before it just becomes too much? You know what I mean? Like, People already think there's a chance this team could move to another city. How how can they how can they improve relations with fans, make this team better and, and stay in Cleveland, have the support they need if you have to do this again with Ramirez and Bieber in the next two or three seasons each? Like I already saw tweets today about how in the last Eighteen months or something. The Indians have traded Cleven- have traded Bauer, Clevenger, uh, Kluber, and Lindor. Like that's a huge recognizable group of this team. If you have to do it again with Ramirez and and Bieber a couple of years apart after this, I-, I don't know what's left to pick apart. Like it's going to get ugly. They have to find a way to avoid that, don't you think?
1: I absolutely agree with you. Um... You know my hope is, and I'm not sure when the new t v contract will come into play for them, but I hope that that is something that will give them a big boost um hopefully, a lot of these players, a lot of these young controllable players uh help offset some of the payroll, and they're able to lock up players like Shane Bieber. so let's say they did extend Bieber on, on a similar deal to what Blake Snell got. he ended up with five fifty. Um, just to use the same number, and gave him ten million per year, which would be a, a a ripoff. But I'm trying to use some easy numbers. Ten million of the payroll right now would just put them up to fifty million, you know. Um. Now, in the coming years, the roster around these players, the rosters around the core players, Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber, should be fairly affordable. Jimenez, um, he's what going to be in a second season this year. So he's not going to cost them anything. He's still two years away from arbitration. So that you're looking at a really young nucleus and a young core and they have pitching to boot. So they've got pitching that's going to be coming up and they'll be able to, to utilize that. And I don't say that as in, um, as in, you know, Hey, they won't have to spend on pitching, but they have pitching that they can use to acquire a, other affordable talent too so they can turn some of these pitching prospects that they have coming up with the system into other affordable assets to fill out the rest of the roster yeah just with a few core recognizable pieces you know you have a few pillars in place if you will um i i think that's something that they lacked before is the depth of the system that they have now now this system should be anywhere between top five top ten Um, between the five to 10 range is what I'm trying to say there Uh, as far as overall talent. And and you and I both agree that there's a ton of volume of quality talent here that could or should turn out into major league players. Um, How can they construct the roster around it? And and I think their hope is to be able to lock up a couple of core pieces. And I, I don't think that, Logically, you can continue to do this and expect to keep fans around. Yeah, some of them will probably love the um, new name, whatever it is. Some people will love that, and they'll love the logo, and they'll market that, I I hope, um, and do well with that. But um, who knows at this point? Maybe they picked an awful name. I won't say anything about Arachnids or anything being awful names, but... (laughs) Uh, Maybe, maybe it'll put something that further distances fans from them, you know, Um, or maybe it's something that people decide, you know what, Hey, this is Northeast Ohio. This, this is us. This is our team. You know, I still identify with this team. I still want to go and see them. You know, I'm curious if people are going to show up because they miss baseball, because I think true baseball fans will but as you hinted at, when you have this breakaway and people realize, hey, there's other things that we can do. And the Browns are rebounding, by the way, if, if anyone hasn't mentioned that yet. Um, the Browns are doing quite well this year and they're in the playoffs. People may choose to spend their money instead of on the tribe on the Browns who are you know, experiencing this revival, if you will. And it's exciting to see the Browns doing well. And it's exciting to see the energy that the Browns fans have. I wish the Indians had that kind of energy right now for Cleveland. And and I wish that the Indians had the payroll that the Browns did. But that's entirely another thing. I I do think that they have to build around core, what I would call pillar pieces, and then fill in around them. And, you know, you have a, a few of those pieces, I think, in place now. And then you'll have to identify and parts will change, you know, some players are starting to get older. Uh, Roberto Perez, you know, he may end up being dealt at some point. Uh, he may get dealt this off season. He may, who knows, he may finish out his, the rest of his two years with the tribe that he has, you know, um, on his contract. But, um, you know, there's opportunity for them, I think, to try to lock up a Shane Bieber, um, a Jose Ramirez, and maybe – if uh, Bieber doesn't want to sign an extension, then you turn to a guy like a, a Zach Plisak and um, start start building other pieces. Who knows? Maybe if what Heyman says is true and the Indians were intent on going over $200 million for Lindor, maybe they'll dip into the free agent market and get a name that we all recognize on a one-year deal, a two-year deal, or or um maybe next off season they'll do that, you know. Um uh, there's a lot of avenues that this could play out. I don't expect and they haven't really seemed to fare well in the deep end of the free agent water. Uh so I don't really expect it that way. But I do think that they have to at some point have have and maintain some identifiable faces for fans. Otherwise it's just like the minor league club. And I'm not I'm not um sliding minor league clubs when i say that but there's change year after year with minor league clubs you can't really depend on the same players being there year after year and and then the indians could start feeling that way to fans and when they start losing that connection with those players then why show up why watch on tv and you know that brings up another entire point that they have great ratings on tv now if only fans showed up in the stadium you know and and a lot of people are gonna say, why should I show up now when they're trading away Lindor? When they're trading away Cookie Carrasco. Someone that wanted to be here, now he's gone. And that, you know, as hard as it is, I understand the business side of it. I don't like the I don't like it though. Um, as I said, Cookie was one of my favorite players. But I think that they have to find their core, their pillar, and build around it, and that has to be how they construct the rest of the roster around them too. And they have the pieces They have depth and they have prospects. They have plenty of prospects that they can use to add to the big club.
0: I hate to say it at this point, but if this is for as long as they're going to operate the way they are, whether you think that the Dolans are forcing them to, or, or, you know, no one's here to carry the water for people who make as much money as the Dolans or anybody else in in sports owners, especially the way 2021. Right. I mean, I think we all get that. But if they're if this is the model that the Cleveland baseball team is going to operate with, if this is how how it's going to be. Then the only chance they are really going to have to retain top talent beyond club control seasons, and, and who knows that even looks like heck. The new the CBA expires after next season, so we could see a 2021 season, and then. You know, things could completely change for the next year. And you know, players, I think they want to kill the old arbitration process. I think they want to get to free agency sooner. Who knows how that's going to turn out? Because you know, the owners are not going to both pay the players better at younger ages and let them get to free agency sooner. There's no way they're going to see both both of those. They might trade. They might. They might pay players better salaries at younger ages to keep free agency the way it is. Um, But, you know, things might change by 2021. So who knows what this is all going to look like a year from now. And we're talking like you, you and I, I hope we're doing this podcast in January, 2022, but who knows what the landscape will look like then. But as it sits right now, it seems like the only way that Cleveland can, retain top talent like a Francisco Lindor is if they offer them uh contracts before they hit the major leagues like remember what Tampa Bay did with Evan Longoria like he he got a hundred million dollar contract before they even called him up and I think uh who was it this year was it Luis Robert of uh of the White Sox like he got the same thing this year and I know Houston did it with Jonathan Singleton a couple of years back and it that turned out pretty poorly. Cause I think he's out of baseball. Um, so, that, you know, there's no guarantees there, but you at least get a guy to say, Hey, I'm going to be here for the next seven years at this price. If they agree to it, that's the only way you're going to get guys for more than they already come up. If, if this is how they're going to be like, and, and looking back, that's, I don't know if they ever did that with Lindor. Maybe he, maybe they tried that and Lindor, rebuffed them way back when but it seems like that's the model they're gonna have to take from now on is that you know when when uh when a Tyler Freeman or a Nolan Jones or uh a Brian Rocchio or one of those guys George Valera if those guys break through and are top prospects and they become core pieces to this team their best bet of having them here for seven or eight years might be offer them a deal before they even have a, a day in the major league just because you know they might play their way out of here who knows what they're going to spend like that's that's a it's not a fun mark it's not a fun position to be in it's not good for the fans it's not good for the team but that might be the best way to go about it going forward um and obviously they're too late to that on Shane Bieber and they're too late to that on Jose Ramirez they're lucky they got Ramirez signed when they did but <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like like you and I talked about before. I think we'd we'd all come to the conclusion Lindor was going to be traded, whether we liked it or not. We'd accepted it, and I think we were looking forward to seeing what the return was and moving on and seeing what the next chapter of, of baseball was going to be like here without Lindor. The Carrasco thing, like you mentioned, he it just it's just a it's a rough ad. I know, I know that we thought there was a possibility. It's just a disappointing PR hit to go along with it. Um, I, I would have liked to seen Carrasco finish his career in Cleveland just because of how everything unfolded, but it happened. And here we are. And, and unless you have anything more you want to air out on it, um, I think it's it's a good time to start talking about the guys that, that came back in this trade because we've been looking forward to this, at least seeing what the return was going to be um, since we knew this was going to happen.
1: Yeah, I I think I've pretty well said all that I I could on that right now. Anyways, I'm sure more will come out later on, but, um, no, I, I don't know that they could have done any better than the package that they got. You know, that's, that's hard to say. And we both know that there's not been a, a lot of smoke around this deal. And it just, uh, Hassan, um, broke the news this morning sometime before noon saying that, uh, the Mets and tribe were deep into discussions and you know that was really the first that we heard of it other than some curious articles that were out yesterday hinting that the tribe may keep uh, Lindor throughout the entire season and potentially move Carrasco instead. Um, you know, I looking at the four players, I, I picked up something interesting on Rosario today Uh from a Mets blog. And and that was that at one point, the Mets had considered moving Rosario to center field. And this, this season, they had mentioned that he would be playing a super utility role if he was still with the club. Um, He does have above average to plus speed. So there's that he's got a strong arm um, and can play shortstop, obviously, My understanding, he's only played left field, maybe one game in the big leagues. So he hasn't moved or played away from shortstop a whole lot. But that there has been prior discussion to him playing in the outfield intrigued me. Um, He's a former top 100 prospect, uh, actually a former top 10 prospect in all of baseball. So that's um, that's a good thing. So there's talent there. He's only 25 years old. He comes with three years of control. But he's also not very selective at the plate, um, hasn't been the best defender at shortstop, and he hasn't quite panned out and, and become the player that the Mets thought he could be whenever he first broke into the big leagues. Um, I, I do think that's part of the reason that he was available, but I'm also curious. I, I thought that maybe they were sending him back um, just to offset the money a little bit. And obviously Cleveland likes middle infield talent um but there's also the possibility maybe they use Rosario in a trade later on to obtain a, an outfielder or something else you know um i i'll just say i would not be surprised if he was moved um to me the gem of the deal obviously is andreas um Jimenez, excellent defender um doesn't have a whole lot of pop has a lot of speed i i think he could be an exciting base runner uh for the tribe definitely going to be curious to see how he handles the spotlight at shortstop with Lindor gone and and assuming that Jimenez comes in right away and and takes that, uh, position because he can play short, he can play second, he can play third. He's an excellent defender. Um, not much as far as power goes, but I think there's star potential with, with Jimenez somebody that I really like. Um, and as I said, he, he seemed like the player that the Indians would target, uh, in my trade prediction earlier this offseason.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised it was one. I, I didn't think it was going to be both. You know, when we talked about the Mets as a possibility, I had figured one of those two would be involved in the deal. I didn't think the Mets would give up Rosario. Um, obviously, like we talked about before, I don't think they would have gotten both had they not included Carrasco. I think you would have had to pick one or the other, and you would have gotten – Uh, one of the two prospects like you would have gotten Rosario Jimenez and one of the prospects not both if you didn't include Carrasco it just so happened the Indians wanted to clear that money and get a better return out of this maybe and maybe from a I don't know PR standpoint I don't know not that it was ever going to be good like I said but it's interesting they got both you know, not this kind of shores up the middle infield because we didn't know coming into the year who was going to play second or short. If they traded Lindor, we assume they would maybe fill the position via trade and then maybe they would add someone in free agency like bring back Cesar Hernandez. But um, now it seems like they, unless, unless they turn around and trade one of these guys or trade Rosario, probably unlikely to trade Jimenez because how cheap he is, honestly. But, um, you know, now it seems like those positions are filled.
1: He's an excellent, he's an excellent defender too, and they love de- they love defense.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jimenez is, is a superior defender by far. He is gonna, I would imagine, be the shortstop, and we'll see what they do with Rosario. I'm, I'm. He has not played second base in the majors. Like you mentioned, he played outfield once. So, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what what they do with Rosario because he has not played other positions in the big leagues. I wonder if they could. It wouldn't shock me because this is, you know, the basis of everything we're talking about today. Um, it would not shock me if they have Jimenez, and I think you mentioned this to me earlier offline. That it wouldn't be a shock to see Jimenez start the year in Triple A, and maybe you have Rosario, Short, and Chang at second, um, just because of service time, right? Like that's <laughs> that wouldn't be a shock to me. Well,
1: he'll he'll have to he'll have to work on something, you know, just um. <laughs> <His pick-off laughs> pick off space or move. something. We'll, we'll need a little adapt- yeah, there we go. Um,
0: I, I like him. And as a lot, you said, I think him and as, as far as the, the, the more immediate return, I like him more than Rosario because he can hit. And I know he doesn't have a whole lot of power, but um, let's see in 2018 and in, in, in high a, as a 19-year-old, he had an ISO of 149. That's a pretty decent mark. In double um, A, at the age of 29, at the age of 20, in 2019, his ISO was 137. That's not great, but you know he's been he's been young for the level. He's only 21 years old. He's already in major leagues. He's been young everywhere he's been. Doesn't really stick out.
1: He just turned 22. He just turned 22, I think, in November or September, as did Rosario. Rosario turned turned 25 in November. So both players are very young major leaguers. Um, You know, as you said there, you know, that's awfully young for the level. And he's listed five eleven one sixty one. Tells me there's more that he could put on, you know, as far as weight goes and strength goes. Maybe more power comes down the line. Maybe he ends up being a – a guy with average power or something, you know. Um, especially that young, you you have to think that there's still some physical gains to come for him. Um, could affect his speed, but he definitely has a good eye at the plate um, and an excellent defender.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're paying for the, for the de, you're you're banking on defensive speed as being tools to make him playable every every day. They're not carrying tools. They're not they're not tools that are going to make him a standout player, but they're going to keep him in the lineup because he can run and because he can play defense and he doesn't strike out. He's always put the bat on the ball. He doesn't walk a ton, but yeah, I think, I think you can hope for more.
1: That's the epitome of what the Indians have done. That's the epitome of what the team has done in recent years, as far as middle infielders goes too. you know, defense over, over offense, really, but a, bat to ball approach, guys that take walks, guys that don't strike out. Um, Rosario is kind of the opposite from my understanding. He he's struck out at a fair clip and I haven't looked at his numbers as not far terrible. as terrible. He isn't he isn't
0: um, walk like that's the thing. Like he hasn't struck out at a terrible rate. Um, the last two years it's about a twenty percent strikeout rate, but his walk rate has been below four has been
1: five percent and below. So that's not great.
0: Um and
1: Yeah, if you were if you're upper up to eight or 10%, Mm -hmm. that'd be a lot better. But I mean, when you consider that again, that's another player that has been playing at the major leagues at at such a young age, you know, maybe the Indians are, or maybe the team is banking on them um, on Rosario in particular, kind of finding himself as a uh, a 25 year old player. Most major leaguers don't debut until they're 25 years old. And he's been in the league for years now. And I think so. He's already performing at a high level, so to speak, or set for for age for level comparison.
0: I w- I would not be shocked if maybe for twenty twenty one he's he they try him at second base and they put him in his at at short. Um Jimenez has more experience playing off shortstop than Rosario does, but I would probably I mean Jimenez, like I said, for defensive purposes, Jimenez is a much better shortstop than than Rosario. Um, I, I think this is also kind of a fresh start for Rosario. Like, I think he kind of wore out his welcome in New York. I know there there were some issues there with him in the club, and I know – I don't know how to feel about the Indians because the Indians are not a team that takes on – I don't want to say he's a problematic player, but, I mean, there's been whispers of him, like I said, wearing out his welcome as a 25-year-old and, and, and a former top prospect or a top 10 prospect in that system. I don't think the Indians would knowingly take him on, but it might've been just, you know,
1: you know, they have done that before. They, they did that recently with a a young pitcher. He turned out fairly well for them anyways. <laughs> um, so it's kind of a gamble on a prospect that hasn't quite um, met the, you know, the hype. Hopefully Rosario is able to kind of find some of that here. Maybe he, has a wake-up call, and that seems to work for some players. Well, um, the other two guys, maybe
0: maybe getting New York
1: helps. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe not having the media in his face and hounding him, um, he won't get the same media coverage in Cleveland. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, but we haven't we haven't talked on the other two guys yet. And I like this part of the trade, and I know it's, I know it's very young, but they bring back two second-round picks, um, Josh Wolf. A prep pitcher in 2019, selected in the second round from Texas. Uh, He's a slight frame. I say slight because he's 6'3", 170, so he's tall and slender. Um, In fact, I read that he came to fall instructs this year a lot more physical, a lot stronger. Uh, He worked a lot on adding velocity. Don't know that he really needed to because he was already sitting low 90s and hitting 96-97. 96-97. Um, definitely sounds like he needs some clear differentiation on his curveball or slider. Um, I know that you mentioned that that it, it looked more like a slider than a curveball. Um, I, I saw some video of it and I don't remember a whole lot from his draft year to be honest. Um, Isaiah Green was the other player that I I really liked, I had him 54th overall player going into the 2020 draft. Um, Center fielder could end up in left field. Um, Maybe a fringe average arm plus or better speed, but he's an excellent hitter. Another guy with bat to ball skills. I don't expect a lot of power from him. Fringe average to average power. Uh, Maybe that changes as he fills out. He's six one buck 80. Um, maybe he adds a little bit more strength and physicality with that. Maybe they do a little of, uh, adjusting to his swing so he can get to the power more. Um, definitely intrigued by these two additions to to the farm system, though.
0: I am too. I I really like Green. Uh, just looking at the video of him, I didn't. I was not um, really up and up on him in the draft as as you were, obviously, because that's that's more of your forte than mine. But uh, the more I, I the more I've read through it now and have kind of seen some extra video, I do like the swing. And I think I think you're right. There's a ch- I think there's a chance for average raw power and above average speed and and probably a left fielder. But I know, like you said, there's some comparisons to Michael Brantley. I think I saw someone say Garrett Anderson. And and player comps are not always a good way to look at these things because. No, no two players are the same, and it's an unfair comparison. But um, you know, a nineteen-year-old athletic outfielder who can put the bat on the ball is, is not unlike Michael Brantley. I mean, he was a young outfielder who had great bat-to-ball skills and grew into some power and grew into being a an average defender with a great arm. I don't know that Green will have his arm, but I I think he's. I I would not be surprised if Green is the best player in this deal long term. Like I think he has. Enough upside where I, I think he has the most potential like yeah him and this could be good Rosario has post prospect fatigue where he was a top prospect and he's lost some of that luster now and and wolf is a good arm but he was a late riser i I think green to me has the most potential in this in this trade and I, I like I said with the way the Indians operate and make these deals it would not shock me if he ends up being the best player the Indians get back in this trade. And, and who knows how good that makes him. But if he ends up being the the best out of the return, it wouldn't shock me. Wolf is really interesting too. Um, what well, he's 20 years old. So what, he would have been a little bit late for them, right? He's a little bit older than they would have probably.
1: If I remember correctly, he was a little bit older um, and also signed for $2 million, almost 800 800- 1000 over slot in the second round so that's probably part of it that that for them uh, because that was the year that they drafted Daniel Espino and they weren't going to go uh with two prep arms back to back with huge signing bonuses like that um in 2019 because they were very limited i think they only had 6 million to spend as their total pool and 2.5 of that went to Espino himself um but uh if i remember correctly he was somewhere between 18 and a half, almost up to 19. So he was a little bit older. He was a a fall riser, a kid that had great control, but velocity came on his senior year of high school, if I remember correctly. And and he's continued to add velocity now, uh, according to what I've read on him. And, you know, I've seen video of him. Um, Haven't really paid a lot of attention to him since he was in the med system. Um, More familiar with Green because he's coming out of this most recent draft class. And I will definitely agree with you that Green would not surprise me if he was the best player from this trade. I would dare say that he has All Star potential if he reaches his peak. Yeah, you had him
0: right behind P. Alpin in your ranking. So, I mean, in the end, he's gonna he's from the same draft. There might be fun to see. They're both California kids. Maybe they come up together. That'd be fun. Um.
1: Yeah. The. I just think I, I think Green is gonna be a high average hitter, somebody that I think will hit two seventy, two eighty, 280, two eighty five. You might get ten, fifteen home runs out of him, maybe a little bit more as he uh matures physically. But I think there's probably a at maturity he's probably an everyday left field. Like I said, it
0: sounds a lot like Michael Brantley in some ways, at least the young Michael Brantley, until he really got into his swing and blossomed. And but it's you know, probably be four or five years before we see him. Wolf thing is interesting again with him too yeah. because he was a late riser. The Indians are not usually, not lately, are not guys that not not a team that drafts players that pop up late in the draft. Like they call him, you know, if anybody listens to or knows draft lingo, they call him a pop up guy where they end up showing more of their potential late. Like, prosper scouts are looking at them early in their career. And then senior year or when they're draft eligible in college, they have this final year where they sh- you know, they shine. They look really good. Usually the Indians are target guys with track records, and they're even comfortable drafting players who might have had strong junior or sophomore seasons and then have fell off because they believe in the track record versus the pop-up guys. So this is an interesting choice for a return. Um,
1: He's – He's got something that they target in in the draft and and in young pitchers, though. And and that's, well, there's the athleticism, uh, simple, easy, repeatable delivery from what I've seen, but also the above-average control. And with pitchers that can hit the strike zone, you develop the pitches. And and that's something that, you know, they take them into their mad scientist (laughs) lab, as I see it in my head. And they do whatever it is that they do to them. And they get them, you know, sharpening that slider, sharpening that curveball. Because I do think you can differentiate his pitches and end up with four pitches with him. And that's possibly something that they're looking at. And he's already, as I said, he's started to put on weight, started to fill out that frame, and started to tick, tick upwards in velocity. And that's kind of, if you know anything about some of the reports that Baseball America has put out, with some of the younger arms, you want them to gain velocity over time. You don't want that kid um, throwing 100 miles an hour right away because those arms are more susceptible to injury. Um, so that's why we've kind of considered Daniel Espino or uh, Hunter Green from the Reds, if you will, um, higher risk arms with huge, huge upside. Um, Wolf is interesting because he brings that those intangibles to the table and those are probably things that the tribe was interested in. Now, pair him with some of these young, other young starters that the tribe has. Daniel Espino, Ethan Hankins, um, Joey Cantillo, and now Josh Wolf. I can't wait to get to Lake County and see some of these kids. Yeah, I, I
0: hope we see Wolf in Lake County this year. I think Green probably more likely starts at Lynchburg. Uh, Lynch, obviously, Lynchburg is, is low A yeah. now and Lake County is uh, high A. And who knows when that's going to happen? Because uh, from what we've heard, the lower levels of, my, of the minor league season aren't going to start until at least May because um, those spring trainings, only triple only A and major league spring training might start on time. And I don't think the lower levels of the minors are going to start spring training until after MLB and triple A uh, spring training has concluded and they leave for their assignments. So uh, it might be until May or June until we get to see it, get to see these guys. But I certainly hope we do this year, and we'll have uh, we'll have scouting reports up on them on IBI at some point soon. Um, I'm off to I'm off work on Friday, so I might get around to some video and a scouting report. And then we'll have to get into the the top 100 prospects, oh, top 100. Geez, well, maybe we could do 100. I don't know. We might as well, right? <laughs> we might as well, because uh, it's all we're going to write about for a while. But um, we'll get into to the top prospect uh, countdown at some time this year with a little bit of a different twist. I'm thinking uh, it might look a little bit different than it did before, um, just because we didn't have a chance to see a lot of these guys or any of them really in action in 2020. So we're going to try to take a different approach to how we're going to do this. Um, the other thing, too, I, I want to bring up before we get out of here was this is this is something we've, we've been talking about and we're going to keep talking about because by November of 2021, Cleveland has just an awful lot of decisions to make. And, and they better hope they have a significant minor league season to do to make this uh, decision off of, but I have to go back and look just because there's so many, so many guys. They have a ridiculous amount of players that are up for Rule 5 eligibility. Um, and
1: almost almost 20 that you could make a, a legitimate claim for. It's not quite 20. I'll say it's between 10 and 15. Um, I think you and I came up with 17. Yeah. But but that's an astounding number of players that, and that could be Rule Five eligible, and they will cycle through some of those and get some of those guys on the club um, during the season. But they're still going to have a lot of tough decisions, and I know that's kind of what you. it, it is.
0: I mean, just just for starters, I think we've broached the topic in the past, but just for starters, there's Owen Miller, there's Tyler Freeman, there's Brian Rocchio. Those guys are going to be no doubt adds. Jose Tina, who probably doesn't need to be added because he hasn't played a high enough level yet. Um, Aaron Bracho. Uh, I think Brian Lavastida was on that list. Brian Lavastida, who is a young, up and coming catcher. George Valera is on that list. Um, Alex Planez, so I know they don't want to lose. Joey Cantillo, Cody Morris. Um. All and all these guys, Adam I Scott. All these up. guys, Nick Sandler. Nick
1: Sandlin.
0: Yeah. All those guys are gonna have to be added, and and there's a lot of those guys you're you're going to have to add. But here's here's the issue with that. And I know you they'll cycle this out a little bit. But okay, so they cleared they cleared Carrasco, they cleared Lindor, even though Lindor was gone after the end of the year anyway. Um. You know, you go you go into this fall with Jimenez, Naylor, Ramirez, Reyes. Maybe something comes to a head with Jake Bowers. He's here. He's not. Same with Burrow Perez. You still have Daniel Johnson. You have Ahmed Rosario now. Uh, Austin Hedges will be gone. You still have Yu Chang. You still have Jordan Luplo. Mercado. Um, your entire pitching staff now is is, is kind of locked here. Um Bobby Bradley is going to have to come to a head this year. Nolan Jones is on the roster. Maybe they don't need to keep new Clement on. I don't know. And then you have you – you you and, you, and you have like clear. 14 starting pitchers, including including two starters that have not pitched above low, a high A yet, with, including Carlos Vargas and, and Jordan Humphries. Like, you have Giancarlo J- J- Smejio is out of options. Like, it's not like they have a lot of guys to move on from. That's, that's the thing. It's, it's going to be a, a, a difficult – thing to project is which of these guys are they going to move on from so they can add all these players. Number one, they have to have a significant um, set of eyes and, and data on these guys to make these decisions to start off with. But then you've also got to figure out who's coming off the roster. And I think this trade plays into that because yes, they got two infield options they can play this year in the short term, but the two things I think are most, are most, strange about the trade the way it played out is Tyler Freeman is a major league ball player I think he's going to be a good major leaguer Um, he's going to be ready by next season and Nolan Jones should be up at some point this year Owen Miller should is should be ready sometime this year Gabriel Arias is knocking on the door even though excuse me he might have some strikeout issues And then you've got to make room for, I mean, you're hoping that uh, Aaron Bracho and and Brian Rocchio and Gabriel Rodriguez and Junior Sanquin, Angel Martinez, all those guys have a potential to to be major league infielders.
1: Jose for me. So it's,
0: it's obvious what they did here is they added two players that are prospects that don't need to be added to the 40 man roster for a couple of years. I think that's, that's, exactly they like those players but they targeted them because of that right now because of this issue but i just want to know like how many guys are going to move positions like you mentioned rosario playing the outfield like where they have to find either you have to find room by moving these guys off shortstop or they have to make some trades because not only do they have a million and one guys to add to the 40 man roster but all, all these guys are shortstop or <laughs> second baseman they can't all play that position Either you got to trade them, or you have to move them to a different position. And and they stockpile pitching for so long, and they've traded major league pitching to fill the areas they have not developed well in. So they finally have enough position player assets to to move some of them and and fill in the holes like outfield or something. Like <laughs> I feel I feel like next week. Kind
1: of crazy. And, and that's what I was talking about earlier that's something that I was alluding to earlier is you identify your core four or five guys and you work around that and you use these other assets. Um, when you have 10 to 15 players that are going to come onto the roster, let's assume in the next year, they're going to add 10. That means there's five guys there that um, we we like James Kronchak and we like Emmanuel Class A, but we don't want to use them in the closers role. So let's go find a, a, a an affordable closer um, that we can slot back there. Nick Wittgren is a fine middle reliever, and he can help out in setup roles. But let's take an opportunity and and add somebody to the bullpen. Let's get a left-handed reliever, and it's going to cost us a, a Jose Tena and I don't know Adam Scott and and another player. You know, the, it's ways to um, utilize this depth and add around the core, if you will. Like I was alluding to earlier. Um, it's something that this team didn't have before, though, was this prospect collateral. The they had some good prospects there, and we've been waiting for them to mature. Now we have a lot of good prospects and a, a lot of future major league talent in this organization. I believe in in the minor league system. I think we'll have players that pan out, whether it be in other teams. They'll end up in. They may not be starting pitchers, but they may end up as middle relievers or up and down options and every team is looking for those those are usable assets to bring in talent now they're going to have to identify which ones and they are going to have tough decisions to make especially when they've not seen players last year and they're looking at a short minor league season as you alluded to um but i i think you create a a log jam by bringing in players like they have um andreas gimenez and then Ahmed Rosario but you also create options so they have options to deal and to trade and I would not be surprised if we turned around and flipped uh, Ahmed Rosario to another team that may be looking for a shortstop or if we move several of these prospects to a team like the Pirates who who are rebuilding for example and and I've joked with you and Jared uh, about hey let's go get Brian Reynolds for a prospect package you know they could actually do that with some of this middle infield talent and the pitching depth that they have in the system. Now, is Brian Reynolds available? I don't know. But the point is, is there's affordable, potentially attainable talent out there. Are they going to pull the trigger on deals to make it happen? Uh, that's how you add to the core and that's how you can sustain this team as a as a winning team for a long time, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, they have they have to go about Using, I mean, you don't just draft and develop prospects to help your team. You do you use it to get them through and be on your team, but you also use them for trades. And they have not, it's, and it's not a bad thing. It's just it's a lot of decisions to make in a short amount of time, and and not having a twenty twenty season helped. And I, I had mentioned this on the uh, the prospects live podcast when we talked about the Indians board is that. I think the Indians were one of the teams hurt so badly by not having a 2020 minor league season because they have just an enormous amount of players that are part of their top prospects list, but they, they have not played above, you know, short season. Like a couple guys had a cup of coffee in Lake County and a bunch of guys were either moaning Valley or Arizona or, or the Dominican, like they're, a a large chunk like Jones and Freeman are really their only top prospects that have have reached above Lake County so far. And they have a lot of talent below Lake County or at Lake County, but they, they just have not had the reps or the high level experience yet. And that's such a problem for where they are at right now. And that's why it's going to be a, a difficult fall of 2021
1: and- but they do have assets you know kind of as you and I both alluded to there like a Rosario and a Jimenez and Owen Miller guys who are at that level now they've been able to kind of layer up a few pieces um and and with that that gives them options to potentially pair a few players let's say that they decided to pair an Owen Miller with um I don't know, a Cody Morris and another prospect or something like that to, to bring in a left-handed reliever with experience, you know, somebody that has two or three years of control that can help the bullpen out. Um, You know, this does provide options for the, for the club um, to stabilize the bullpen because, you know, you you lost your closer with Brad hand, you're losing Ali Perez as well. And there's really not a um, established left-hander out there. So I'm just using that as an example, but this, this depth that they have now will allow them to go and do things like that. And that's something that they hadn't had in, in previous years. They only had so many prospects that were actually quality prospects and that, you know, could pan out. Now they have a, a lot of prospects um, that could pan out. I, I think they've probably doubled the numbers. I'll put it to you that way. It, it feels like in anyways in recent years, the dub, they've doubled the numbers of quality prospects that may actually pan out in, in the big leagues
0: yeah they they better hope they work out that that's the thing as is, is a lot of this is banking on the system coming through it, it's a top ten system but mm-hmm. it's a lot of banking on that these guys really are as good as they think they can be otherwise you know it could be tough i mean we don't know how some of these these younger kids are gonna pan out without the experience that we've seen so far so it's a pivotal twenty twenty i mean I don't know twenty twenty could have been a pivotal year I guess we'll say 2021 is a pivotal year I mean the big club to me I, I'm still like I said I'm still to bring this thing full circle I'm not calling it a rebuild if they if they turn around tomorrow or I don't know maybe even next winter if they trade Jose Ramirez I'd start to I'd start to say it's kind of more a rebuild but the thing is what they're trying to do is transition to the next core like they're they're doing the, the they're trying to time it so they don't have to re, rebuild like completely they don't have to go through the hundred ninety ninety lost seasons that that's what they're trying to avoid like is it fun to watch an eighty one and eighty one team not really like it's not fun it's better than watching a ninety lost team we've talked about this before I I, I don't want to turn the TV on and watch a hundred lost team I just don't it's not fun. Um, so personally, as a baseball fan, I prefer this method than the four or five year run where, you know, you win the division three out of four years. And one of those years you make, you make the world series, hopefully you win it. Maybe you don't. And then for the next four years, you tear it all down and your farm system's terrible. And you have to, you have to lose a hundred games to compile draft picks and trade good players for low A prospects like we just did. But I, I'd rather have the farm system the Indians have, and if your if your ownership let's just say this Let, let's if your ownership forces you to trade a Francisco Lindor or Carlos Carrasco in order to keep payroll low and you still want to compete, I'd rather have the Indians' farm system where you're trying to win anywhere between 85 and 86 games and avoid those four-year lulls where you're the worst team in the league and go about it this way because if they continue to build a good farm system your time to potentially be division contenders again is much shorter. You know, maybe you have... And it's not an easy thing to do. It's very difficult. But if you have a season like to a season or two where you win 80 games or 82 games and that's followed by getting back to the top of the mountain where you're winning 90 games a year again with a, with a, a system that's in place like the Indians have then that's fine it's just you know don't expect any fans to be thrilled about repeating the process every six years I get that but I, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying. They're trying to to find a way to, to establish the next core. Like you said, identify those next four four building blocks. It's unfortunate and it stinks. They had to trade. They they ended up trading Lindor, who could have been one of them, who has been one of them. But they have to do now. They have to identify the next core. And the best way they can go, they can avoid losing ninety to hundred games is keeping that that farm system built. And getting the next set of core guys to the major leagues, getting them together, building around them, and continuing that process over. And this is the way they're doing it. And it may or may not work. It's not easy. It may not be fun. But I I don't know. You can say ownership has forced them to do this, and I, I get it. They probably are. Like, You know, if, if the ownership was willing to spend more money, maybe they don't have to do this. But the front, this is how the front office is trying to do it. And I will say, I, I respect the front office's process doing it this way, even if it's not the most fun thing in the world, is what I would say. I think it's difficult, but I'm really interested, interested to see if they can do it. And I hope they do.
1: I do too. I want to see them be successful. And, and I can't help but look at their track record. And when I see their track record and how well they've fared in trades, I can't help but believe that we will be okay. That the that the tribe will... Um, they may not have a superstar out of this trade, but they may come away with a few players that blossom. Maybe an unexpected player like Isaiah Green, and that may take several years. It took several years for Grady Sizemore to flash his talent at the major league level and he was a big component of that trade at that time um i do think they got two solid major league pieces right away i do think that there are young pitchers in the system who will now have opportunity to show who and what they are In Tristan mckenzie aaron savali zach plisak cal Quantrill, eli morgan um, some of the other arms that are in the system you know, they, they need opportunity. There's a lot of talent here. And there's a lot of opportunity for players to take positions and make them their own. Josh Naylor, Bobby Bradley, Yu Chang, Ahmed Rosario, Andrea Gimenez maybe Nolan Jones, Tyler Freeman, Owen Miller. All of these players that are players, even an Oscar Mercado, could still establish themselves as solid every single day contributors and a few of them may end up being all-stars who knows at this point because this is a very young team I think it's going to be an exciting team because we're going to see we're going to see days where pitching is just completely dominant we're going to see days where the lineup probably scores a lot of runs steals a lot of bases and then other days where they just barely get on base and we're wondering why the crap am I watching this? (laughs) (laughs) But I I think it's, it's a transition year and it was always going to be, we knew it was going to be rough. COVID forced the issue made things a lot more tighter. It's neither here nor there when it comes to ownership. I won't even touch that right now. I'm talking about what the front office is doing And that's trying to transition to the next core of talent. So this was always a transition year. Who is the core is what I want to see. And we need to see player development at the major league level. We'll need to see it on the minor league level. That's where, you know, you and I are both concerned that minor leaguers aren't going to get the time they need. That that the organization isn't going to get the time that it needs to see these players in the next year. There's a lot of tough decisions coming but as i said too they have a lot of choices to make but they have a lot of assets to utilize to stabilize and to help this team go forward you know if it if it means going out and adding another reliever if it means hey there's a a young first baseman who's available that's got 3 40 year, years left on his deal and we can get him for for good prospects let's make that deal and get a get a first baseman that could help carry the offense um you know there's there's going to be opportunity that arises there's going to be deals that happen that we didn't see I think because they have depth and they have options and they've created it and they've given themselves more options by adding to their depth in the in the middle infield
0: yeah time shall tell it will i mean it's going to be an interesting year it may not be the most fun but we, hopefully, we'll get some more answers in 2021 than we did in 2020. Uh, I'd say it can't be any worse, but I don't know. It's, it's like I said, it's <laughs> December. Don't dare, fake don't
1: I, don't I dare, dare fake. <laughs> fate. I will
0: not attempt It's December 37th, 2020. That's all um, I'm going to say. I don't know. <laughs> uh, definitely. I definitely don't think the Indians could have done better on this trade. I'm not saying they did great. I'm just saying I don't think. They were going to get a better offer, all things considered. Um, it wasn't it wasn't as good as the Mookie Betts trade, but I, I Mookie Betts is a better player than Lindor, and COVID played a role in this. So it is what it is. Um, that's all I really have for tonight. We can save a lot of stuff for another podcast, and like I said before, pretty soon we'll get to work on the the top prospect uh, scouting reports, and. As I have heard, Major League Spring Training uh, should start on time, so um, we'll start shickling some of that stuff in as well. I'm ready to turn the page and getting to work on a new year. Uh, I know you've got a bunch of draft stuff you're waiting for me to put on the site. I'll get to that sometime soon because a month from now or or six weeks from now, we should be having college baseball. So let's let's look forward to – a few bright spots we have and uh, start getting ready to watch baseball in some form in 2021 and hoping that that makes us all feel a little bit better. <laughs> all right. Well, you can follow me at jail underscore baseball. If you don't already, which if you're listening to this, you probably do. Uh, if not, I'm there. And then you can follow Willie at will who 99 uh, follow us on Twitter at, Official underscore IBI. It's a new year. Uh if you want to sign up for a subscription to Indians based fall dot com, uh, that's four ninety nine a month. We're not changing the price and it's only month to month. All the money goes to me, Willie, uh, Joe, anybody you've heard on here before at the site, it's uh all independent. So you're not paying anybody you're not paying anybody's overhead or or Some weird fee. All the money goes right to us for the work we put into this. So, if you're not a subscriber already, uh, consider checking that out. Especially as the the top prospect list comes out and the draft stuff will be premium content as well. You're going to want to check all that out. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here?
1: No, I. uh, (laughs) Well, I will throw this out there. I'm working on a international preview right now. So I'll be dropping some names for for some of the players that uh, Cleveland is linked to in the international period, which starts on the 15th. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give some more details and some insight in that piece, and that should be ready soon, and that will come out before the international period starts on the 15th.
0: Yeah, that's coming coming up soon, too. I forgot about that. Uh, We'll update the payroll and depth chart section of the website, so be sure to check that out. That's about it. So uh, we'll catch you next time. And uh, thanks for listening.